Welcome to Spotlight and the fourth installment of our mini-series on the minds of millennials, where we talk to young professionals about various personal and cultural topics and how they apply to private equity. I'm Mina Tumai. And I'm Evie Russman. Over the past few years, ESG has dominated the agenda, with pressure being put on PE firms to incorporate it into their investments. PricewaterhouseCoopers Global PE Responsible Investment Survey revealed that 37% of respondents have turned down an investment due to ESG concerns. But what is driving this shift? Do we simply know more about responsible investing? Or is the current generation spearheading the movement? To answer these questions, we sat down with two industry specialists to discuss how millennial values are shaping the ESG agenda. We first spoke to Adrien Paul Lambion, who is an ESG and sustainability specialist at Partners Group. So we're a global team covering ESG integration within our portfolio. I started actually at Partners Group in more in a business development focused role, but it was involved also in, in fundraising for our impact fund. And I was really excited since years already, even during my studies and my, my undergrad and postgrad studies about the topic of sustainability and, and societal topics, philosophical topics. And then I decided a few years ago to start a PhD in sustainable finance at the University of Zurich. And Partners Group was very supportive and, and allowed me to transition into a new role within the firm. So to join the ESG and sustainability team and to really combine business, like ESG in the business world, with uh, the work I'm doing on the academic side. And that's really what excites me is, is to bridge these two worlds and bring in at Partners Group what I see in academia and vice versa. So do research on topics that are relevant in the industry. We also spoke to Valerie Shen, Partner and Chief Operating Officer at G2 Ventures. In terms of my journey, I was first exposed to topics around energy and the environment in high school as a speech and debate competition participant, thought these topics were always very interesting, and then ended up studying environmental science in undergrad, concluded that climate and the environment are by far the most pressing challenge of our generation, so wanted to dedicate my career to working in this space. I think there are a lot of different ways to do that. To me, the business route made the most sense because I just felt that that was where I could add the most value. And so started out working at, in consulting because I just wanted to generally learn how business works and didn't know what that meant even. So consulting was the best entry point. And then pretty quickly found my current team. When it comes to defining ESG, Shen argues that often the lines get blurred with many viewing impact as ESG and vice versa. We think of ESG as the environmental and social and governance decisions for how a company is run. So how they're managing their own internal operations from the way that employees travel and commute to the diversity of their own hiring to how they're running their board meetings and governance. Whereas the impact is really what is the social or environmental impact of the product or service that this company is providing? And how does that impact the world even beyond when it leaves that specific company's confines? So for example, one of our portfolio companies, Proterra, they make electric buses. So the ESG piece would be, how are they managing their own factories? How are they managing their employee processes? Whereas the impact is for each electric bus, how much carbon does that offset relative to the diesel bus that would have otherwise been purchased and used? Asset managers globally are expected to increase their ESG-related assets under management to $33.9 trillion by 2026, as cited by PwC. Lambion says that the increasing focus on climate change is one of the reasons behind this. For many reasons, I think that the growth in emphasis is, first of all, 
due to climate change and sustainability having increased generally in focus and also the you know, the urgency to act on the climate crisis has increased and pressure from and for different stakeholders is, is on the rise. There have also been a lot of social movements like Fridays for Future or uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, which have contributed to an increased focus on the environmental and the social dimension of businesses. Then another reason for this is that, you know, research has shown that basically managers can raise more money when they label their funds as being sustainable. But finally, it's also a business opportunity. So it's the new way of innovating, so making businesses more sustainable. Just as in the past decades, we've focused a lot on digitization, and we still do. Well, now making companies more resource-friendly and more sustainable is the big next trend. And that's also what we, for example, at Partners Group do, contributing to the transformation of businesses uh, to make them more resilient for the long term. Shen argues that personal values have changed, which is driving the push to wider ESG adoption. I think that it ultimately comes down to people around the country in all walks of life and in all jobs caring a lot more about these topics. So if you think about it, a lot of the money that managers, like private equity or venture capital managers are managing, comes from limited partners who are themselves endowments or foundations or family offices, right? And we're hearing from all of these limited partners that they are getting pushes or just personally more interested in making sure that their money is going to companies that are doing good for the world and operating in effective ways. So I think there's this general sentiment and desire to move more in the ESG direction, I think there is also a lot of realization that this is just a great business decision in many ways, that businesses that are doing well on ESG aspects are going to be more profitable in the years to come. It's already in some ways the case, right? This means that you're thinking through not having big scandals that mess up everything that's working on the company. It means that you are making your workplace better for a more diverse set of people so you could actually select the absolute best person for every job instead of boxing out a certain group. It means that you're thinking through environmental and supply chain risks so that you aren't surprised by that. So that push for ESG topics is in some ways pushing businesses to just make better decisions in their operations. And it makes a lot of sense that the ultimate investors want better businesses to invest in. Lambion discusses why ESG values go beyond the finance sphere. I've always been very um, interested in societal themes and trends. I studied economics, which is a very interdisciplinary field where you're confronted with the result of human interactions, basically. And then I started working in the financial industry because I think it's a fascinating industry where one is confronted to many other industries and trends and themes that affect our society and, and, and our planet as a whole. And basically, ESG for me is the most interesting part of our financial industry because it's going beyond just the financial and the, the return dimension. It's really thinking about all non-financial aspects, having a holistic view of companies, of industries, of sectors. He adds that firms should view ESG with a long-term lens as it can ensure they stand the test of time. For me personally, having an interest also, as I mentioned, for philosophy, and it's thinking not only these ESG dimensions and, and ratings and KPIs, but it's really thinking about the long-termism of our financial system and of companies. So really building companies that are well-equipped for the long-term, that are resilient to changes within our society. Of course, on the environmental perspective, having more resource-friendly companies, contributing to decarbonizing companies. 
And the social dimension is, I think, very important. The, the financial industry has maybe not always had the best image, also in terms of the impact it had on society, its contribution to inequality and financialization, especially industrial countries or economies. And I think contributing to more socially responsible firms and really thinking of stakeholder impact, for example, in our private markets industry, as a private equity company, giving employees of portfolio companies the opportunity to participate in the value that we create with them together. I think that's really exciting and that's what drives me uh, personally. Speaking on her own personal motivations, Shen stresses the importance of having a positive environmental impact. For me personally, the environmental piece is probably the strongest. I just think about the world that we are in right now and how many great resources we have. And the idea that these resources or the climate that makes earth livable and great for all of us is at risk is really scary, especially when you think about the fact that we've already created so much change and damage to the environment in just the last 150 years. If we continue to have that trend, we're going to create a planet that's not sustainable for not even just generations way out in the future, but for potentially the next generation, right? Our children or grandchildren. The way that I think about this is I believe that everything that we work on should be making the world better. And I think that there is a lot of great synergy between building something that's profitable and building a real business and then also helping the environment, helping the communities that we're in. So in some ways, using that phrase, double bottom line, right? We believe that you can have both, do good and then also do well. And so I think that really meshes. There seems to be a shift in generational attitudes towards ESG issues when it comes to the end users of portfolio companies, products and services. Lambion says the demand for climate conscious decision making is shaping the ESG conversation. We do see a shift a shift in the mindset when we work with our portfolio companies. So the behavior of consumers is changing, right? Consumers are demanding more for sustainable products uh, and they're willing to pay more also for uh, more sustainable products. And so basically the demand for sustainability is increasing. Supply needs to keep up, right? It's, it's simple economics. This is also the key argument we can bring when working with portfolio companies that maybe have leaders that are not as passionate or as excited about the topic because in some regions of the world it's a bit politicized and maybe some people have opinions about it but really explaining that well it's a trend that one is missing out on and that one cannot ignore because there is this generational shift consumers care more about climate change about diversity and inclusion and they are influencing other generations as well. So it's it's common for us to speak with business leaders that have been influenced or convinced by their children and now care more about the planet and society as a whole. So if a company now, one of our portfolio companies, they can't allow or can't afford to ignore this because it's just as if 20 years ago, companies would have ignored uh, digitization. It's how our society is evolving and uh, companies will be left behind if they don't take this seriously. Shen says she has observed a trend in the younger generations getting more involved in sustainable finance initiatives. I think it's all very gradual and everything feeds on each other. So I wouldn't necessarily say that the generational shift is the only or necessarily the most important factor. In some ways, that would be a little bit rude to the older generations because a lot of them do really care about these topics too. It just generally feels that there is more interest from younger generations. And it's not just on the investing front, it's also on where people want to work 
And in the last few years, more than ever before, everyone on my team is getting calls from friends, colleagues, former acquaintances who are saying, we want to start working on climate. How can we do this? I want to leave my tech job making a product that I'm not enthusiastic about and work on something that's going to do good for the world. So we're seeing that trend across investing, across where people want to work, also across spending habits, right? There's a lot of research about millennials caring about the impact of the products they buy. So it's a shift in a number of directions. Despite the push towards ESG, Lambion believes there's still a lack of standardization when it comes to regulations and global taxonomies. So I see several challenges to ESG decision making. First of all, it's a very new field in a way. I mean, in a way, it's very old because thinking about values and ethics, moral and environmental and social dimension of businesses is nothing new, but still there is more limited know-how and ESG literacy. And also the data is less reliable, less available. So in terms of decision-making, one is, of course, uh, confronted with less information. Also in terms of, of actual decision-making, there's always this trade-off between short-termism versus long-termism, right? Uh, I think we are facing more, more turbulent macroeconomic environment right now. So companies really need to weigh on which decisions do they have to make now and which decisions can still wait a bit. Here again, another challenge is... ESG is different for everyone. So it's a cultural phenomenon. So the topics that we care a lot about in, in Europe are different than what North American stakeholders care a lot about or Asian stakeholders. So basically here, what do you focus on? Where do you set your priorities? And for example, at Partners Group, we're a global firm. We have a global investor base and a global investment portfolio. Uh, so we need to take into account all factors that our stakeholders engage with us on. So it makes it really challenging because you have to prioritize. You can't work on everything at the same pace and at the same time. Shan agrees that there is not enough quality data available regarding ESG, which can make it difficult to measure progress. The biggest challenge right now is just understanding how exactly any company is doing on the E or the S or the G. And having some sort of standardized metrics to balance those different traits with each other and with financial returns. So it's hard to say, okay, well, this company is, you know, better than average by some percentage on their diversity metrics. How do I balance that against the fact that they are emitting X percent more carbon than their peers? And how do I balance that against the fact that their board doesn't have proper board meeting procedures. Those trade-offs, somehow quantifying them or rigorously analyzing them against each other is a challenge because of the lack of standardization. And then the other question is, how do you balance that with financial returns? Legislation, such as the EU's Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, has come into place in the last few years. But Lambion says limitations and gaps within it might make the process of combating greenwashing harder. Yes, I think the regulation is as such it's needed. It certainly contributes to move in the right direction. It's, of course, in the private markets industry, what, what is expected from companies, from asset managers is very challenging. It's much more challenging than what you see in, in the public market space, right, where data availability due to the nature of large corporations more is less of a problem. But then I think we've seen over the past year also the, the complexity of uh, the regulation, especially SFDR. And although 
The aim of it is to increase transparency and to combat greenwashing. Basically, some flaws and limitations of the regulation came out, right? It has been applied or implemented by the market in a different way than it was initially intended, right? SFDR, for example, was intended to be an additional information for transparency, but the market has now made a fund classification out of it, which was not the goal, and it is not precisely enough defined for it to serve as a classification or a labeling. I'm currently actually writing a paper, an academic paper on SFD Article 9 funds. I have looked into this topic quite a lot. And also at Partners Group, we look at it quite a lot. And while we see a lot of misinterpretation and misuse in the market, regulatory authorities or the ESMA, for example, has also highlighted this misuse recently. So I think the ambition is there. The industry and the regulators want to combat greenwashing, but then there's still a challenge of how is this then translated in the market? How is it implemented by asset managers in order to ultimately reduce information asymmetry and, and protect uh, investors? Shan further reiterates that regulations are in their early stages, so more still needs to be done to ensure accurate reporting. I think that the regulations are a good start. I would guess that the current frameworks that we have passed or are discussing are not going to be the end state, not because I can point to any one specific problem with them, but because it feels like the whole system is still in transition and everyone is still figuring out what are the truly important aspects that are also not so burdensome to report that a lot of companies can't participate. I do think that the regulatory threat of enforcement has cut back a little bit on greenwashing already, right? Because a lot of the essence now is you don't have to be green or you don't have to be an ESG company yet. But if you say you are, your claims have to be justified and able to be backed up. And that's already causing some companies to say, okay, if we're really not ready to do the proper reporting or do the rigorous analysis, let's hold off a little bit and figure out what the real rules are and whether we can meet them before just putting out a blanket claim. But I would be surprised if the current set of regulations stays unchanged for any meaningful amount of time. When asked which element of ESG is more important, Lambion discusses the different weightings given to them globally. In Europe, we see climate change as one of the key focus areas driven by policymakers, by companies. And that's what we get a lot of engagement on, right? How do we invest into companies, for example, in the decarbonization space, uh, in the renewable energy space, but also how do we help companies actually decarbonize their businesses, because I think that's a key dimension. But when speaking with stakeholders in North America, for example, where the topic of diversity and inclusion is more advanced and more relevant there in a certain degree, well, you have other discussions, right? And other focus areas and other priorities you also set with portfolio companies that we invest in. And then what's interesting is, for example, in some countries in the European Union, unionized economies like France, Benelux, they care a lot about workers' rights, right? How do you treat employees? And, and that's a topic that's very important for us at Partners Group as well. For ESG adoption to really take centre stage, more detailed regulation and standardisation is needed, but it is clear it will play a huge role in the PE industry going forward. That's all for today. Thanks again to Adrian Paul Lambion from Partners Group and Valerie Shen from G2 Ventures. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts or listen to any of PEI Group's various titles online. I'm Evie Ressman. And I'm Mina Tumai. Stay tuned for our upcoming fifth episode of On the Minds of Millennials, where we'll hear from unique millennial voices about the trends and challenges shaping private equity. See you next time.